been talking to you about this whole subject of beginning well and finishing strong. So would you take your Bibles today and go to the book of Luke, the 14th chapter. As you're do th doing that, let me welcome our campuses that are joining with us today. My name is Eddie Couples. I'm sure you've already had a great service where you are today. But we're believing that as we go into the Word of the Lord, that God is going to speak to us. He's going to encourage us and strengthen us today. So get ready to hear what God is going to say. Now, how many of you know that it's easy to start something, but it's a little bit more difficult to complete it? How many of you found that to be true? So what we've been talking about is not only beginning well, but we want to finish strong. And so the Word of God in the book of Luke, the 14th chapter, verse 28 through 30 says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Now, I don't want that to be said about my life, and I don't want that to be said about your life. And so what we've been talking about over the past few weeks is how that we go about taking this whole process of this thing called life and living it to the fullest that God has called us to. And so we've been looking at the Old Testament character, a guy named Nehemiah. So if you want to go to the book of Nehemiah, we'll get to that in just a moment. But what we found is, is that the Word of God tells us that Nehemiah uh, was in the king's palace. Now that's a great place to be. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind hanging out with the king. Right? Get to eat what the king eats, get to sleep in the palace. I mean, that's pretty great stuff. And yet the Word of God lets us know that Nehemiah, though he was in the king, verse 11 of the first chapter, uh, he says, I was a cupbearer to the king. In other words, I was a servant or I was a slave to the king. But even in that place, Nehemiah knew who he was. And so as we begin to talk about it in the first week, I've given you a different word each week. In the first week, we talked about positioning, that in our lives, we have to position ourselves to move into what God has for us. Nehemiah is quite clear. Listen, I'm in the palace, but I've heard, even though I'm living in the palace, that my homeland, Jerusalem and Israel, has been destroyed. And the Word of God says that Nehemiah is moving greatly because of that. He weeps, he cries, the whole thing that goes into that, uh, prays and seeks God about it. And the Bible says, though, is that Nehemiah took the position that he had where he was, and he leveraged that to get to the place that God wanted him to be. So here's what I want to tell you today. No matter where you are, God can take you to where he wants you to be. You believe that? So that's what we talked about the first week. The second week, we talked about planning. The word was planning. We talked about how that Nehemiah there uh, in the first chapter going into the second chapter, that he planned. In fact, the Bible says that when he came before the king, when the king asked him, what is it that's wrong with you and what do you want, that he had a whole list. He had already planned it all out. Now, I want to tell you what I found with a lot of people, a lot of people are just waiting on God to dump it in their lap. Well, if God wants me to have a great family, he'll just give me a great family. If he wants me to have a wonderful business, I'll just have. If he wants me to be a great Christian, no, no, no. You have to plan. We talked last week about the process that Nehemiah went through in planning his life out. Now, here's what I want to tell you. If you are a believer today, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have different realms of your life. You don't have a social aspect to your life and then the family aspect of life and then the business and then the spiritual part of life. If you are a believer today, all of your life is integrated. 
So no matter what you do, as I preach today, as I talk with you today out of this subject, I want you to understand that what you are doing with your life is not just about your family. Maybe God is dealing with your family, but it's going to affect every part of your life. Or it's not just about your business or the, the company you own or what it is that you're called to do. Uh, maybe you're a teacher or administrator, whatever that is, that also has everything to do with the rest of your life. Now today's word is this. I told you I'd give you one word each Sunday. And today's word is the word pursuing. Because here's what I want to tell you. You can know where you are. You can have a great plan. But if you don't pursue that plan, you're never, ever going to receive your destiny into your life. God has made you for greater things than just to breathe up somebody else's air and die. Right? I mean, you know, what is this whole deal about life that we think, well, it just whatever will be, will be. No, whatever will be will just be some stuff. What we have to do is determine, listen, I think you ought to grab life by the throat and take everything you can out of it. I think that, that when you die, they ought to say that person lived life to its fullest. They did everything. I mean, I love people uh, who are older than I am, who are still passionate, who are still desirous, who are still going after what God has for their life and their family or in their spiritual walk with God or whatever the dimension is that we're talking about today. Now, now here's what I wanted you to do. Look there in the 11th verse of chapter 2. The Word of God says to us there, uh, Nehemiah says, so I came to Jerusalem, and I was there for three days. Now, it's interesting that he tells us this. We know that he went before the king. The king gave him letters of, a, of approval to go to Jerusalem. The king gave him letters so that he could get the supplies he needs, all those things that we talked about last week. But the Bible says that when he got to Jerusalem, when he got there, the Bible says that he didn't do anything for three days. Now, that's kind of interesting, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Now, here's what I want to tell you. When you begin to pursue your destiny, in that whole process, you have to understand that it's all about being faithful. Your destiny is about faithfulness. The Bible says it this way. He who, which is faithful in the little things, I will make ruler over what? Much, right? Now, everybody wants the much. Everybody wants to be the boss. Everybody wants to own the business. Everybody wants to be the pastor of a 10,000-member church. Everybody wants, we, we all want. But before I get here, I've got to start here. I've got to be faithful just in the little things. I've got to be faithful to what it is that God called me to. I want to have a great family. Well, the way you get a great family is by being faithful. Just doing the stuff that you're called to do. And when you do that, then you can find yourself moving into success. Now, I want to tell you something. Success begins with faithfulness to the process. Did you hear me? Success begins when you are faithful to the process. Here's what I've learned about life. I'm, I've, I've lived a long time. Uh, plan on living a little bit longer. But here's what I found out about life is that if I want to achieve success in life, I've got to be faithful to the process of life. And life is about process. You know, only in fairy tales do you throw out the beans and the next morning you climb into the heavenlies. Right? But I find a whole lot of people who, who want 
the great success, but they're not willing to understand that I've got to be faithful in the process, just doing the thing. Listen, if you want to have a great marriage, the way you have a great marriage is the same way you had a great dating life. Well, glory to God. This is how I love doing marriage counseling. You know, to hundreds of people at once, okay? But, but it's, I figure we can all use our time wisely. All right, it's, it's just being faithful. It's just doing those things that you did to get them. Right? I mean, I mean, come on, a little makeup still would be nice. Well, I got them now. Well, come on, get the curlers out of your hair, baby. Let's, come on, guys, you need to take a bath more than once a week. Come on, it's, Right? Come on, you know, go to, go to the store and get some cologne where you smell halfway good. God. Right? Come on. It's, it's just that process that you have to be faithful to to continue whatever it is in life that you want to see. Now, here's what I'll tell you about pursuing uh, this vision that God places in your heart. And again, it's in every aspect of your life. When you begin to pursue a vision, it will test you, it will stretch you, and at times it will exhaust you. Every one of you who own businesses listening to me today know that there are moments that you want to shut the door, lock it, and walk out and hide. Why? Because as great as it has been, there are those moments that it is testing and it is exhausting you and you don't even want to think about showing back up tomorrow morning. Sometimes, here we go, sometimes marriage can be that way. You know, I made a comment last week about who told you that marriage was going to be fun. My wife corrected me. Marriage can be fun. I wasn't trying to say that marriage couldn't be fun last week. What I was saying is, is that it's not about being fun. It is about learning how to dwell with one another. And, and so you, you have all of those things going on in your life, but you have to pursue, and you have to understand that there are moments. I want to tell you, in this process of Nehemiah hearing from God, being broken in his spirit, we know in that first chapter there's at least a four-month period that he's seeking after the will of God, making plans. We don't know how long the journey took. I want to tell you, there were moments in Nehemiah's life he just said, you know what, I think I'll hang out in the palace and forget this vision thing. But I want to tell you, if you ever want to do something great for God or great for your family or great for mankind, you have got to be willing to pursue what God has called you to. Now, let's look at it this morning. I'm going to give you four things today in, in this whole process of pursuing. Look in verse 12 and 13 of the second chapter. He said, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart. Now, listen how he makes uh, this, this statement. He says, he didn't say, uh, I told no one what. God. He said, I told no one what my God. I, I want to tell you something. When you get to that place where the vision is so much bigger than you, all of a sudden God becomes real personal. Nehemiah knew there was no way under the sun that he was going to be able to fulfill what God had called him to do. And so he gets real personal here, and he says, this is what my God has placed in my heart. And he said, no, no one knew that. And he said, no, were there any animals with me? Verse 13, he says, and I went out by night through the valley gate, to the serpent well, to the refuse gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with 
fire. Here's the first thing in pursuing what it is that you want or you believe that God has called you to do in any area of your life. Number one is you must investigate before you initiate. Now, now hear me. You, you've got to do the homework. You've got to figure out, is this what I am called to do? Is this what I am supposed to do? Do I have the ability to make this happen? Do I need somebody to come online with me? What is it that I need? And so the Bible says Nehemiah begins to investigate. He doesn't tell anybody why he's there. Don't you just hate I mean, can you imagine Nehemiah showing up the first day, coming in and saying, I'm here to fix everything. Come on, you've met those people. How many of you, how many of you, you've worked at a place for a few years and all of a sudden they hire the newbie? The new guy shows up, and in the first day, he wants to change everything. She's got a better answer. I mean, don't you just hate him? Now, you hate him with the love of Jesus, I'm sure. But, you, you know, you just can't stand him. You just look at him and say, would you just be quiet, shut up, and listen? You'll learn something. Right? We've been doing this for a few years. You may have some ideas, and we want to hear them, but get to know us first. Don't, don't start changing everything overnight. And, and so that's why if Nehemiah would have just shown up, laid his plan out, they would have turned on him immediately. But what Nehemiah does is that Nehemiah, although he's looking at the wall. Now remember, the Scripture says in chapter 1 that when Nehemiah just heard about it, he was broken and wept and cried and fasted for days. Now the Scripture says that he sees all the brokenness of the city. Can you imagine the emotional uh, upheaval that he's in at this moment? I mean, if, if just hearing about it made him cry, think about what it was like to see all the stuff and what that was doing inside of him. But what I love about Nehemiah is that he was not driven by the emotion of the moment. See, there are a lot of people who, who get emotional about stuff. How many of you remember when you first got saved? Come on, you remember? Some of you, it's been a while. Uh, how many of you know that probably in the first six weeks to six months, you drove a lot of people away from you? Right? Because you just tell them, oh, man, I got saved. You need to get saved. And, and, I mean, you know, last week you were hanging out in the club with them and telling all the nasty stuff and chasing women or men or whatever it was. Right? And then you show up with a 40-pound Schofield reference Bible and start beating them over the head saying, you need Jesus. And they just got sick of you and kicked you to the curb real quick. And, and the reason was is that you were driven by the motion. You were driven by the moment, and you did not have the wisdom to wait to do what God was telling you to do. See, here, here's the deal. Understand this. Once you announce the vision, it's open for inspection. Once you tell everybody about what you're going to do, they're going to begin to discuss what you're talking about. And so Nehemiah does not get in a hurry to do that. He spends three days just kind of hanging out with the people, talking with them, finding out what's going on, and then he begins the process of looking at the walls, figuring it all out. But he does not allow emotion to rule him. He's waiting. He's waiting until that moment. He's waiting until that place that he can then move into what God has called him to do. Now, secondly, it's found there in verse 16 and 17. It says, And the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I had done. Again, he's being quiet. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the noble, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, 
you see the distress that, watch, watch what he says. He did not say, you see the distress that you are in. Read that word. He says, you see the distress that we are in. All right? Anybody can point a finger. Anybody can tell everybody why they're in a mess. It takes somebody who understands leadership to come along and to identify with what's going on. He says, see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let, there's the inclusive again, come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. The second thing that you've got to do, if you really want to fulfill what God has called you to do, let me explain this to you. God never gives you an idea, a vision, a dream to do anything that's all about you. If it's self-centered, if it's all about what you want, it's probably not from God. God always gives us the ability to touch someone else. In the New Testament, over 50 times in Scripture, the, the term one another is used. It talks about praying for one another. It talks about exhorting one another. It talks about serving one another. All right? And so when I understand that, then I've got to understand this. Number two is this. I've got to involve others in the journey. I've got to get other people on board. I mean, Nehemiah says, look at the distress, the distress that we are in. He said, let us. He didn't say, well, you know, here's what I'm going to do, guys. I'm going to go sit on the porch, drink some lemonade, and you guys get out there and do it. He was willing to get down in the trenches with them. Listen, if you don't believe in your vision enough to get involved in it, don't be surprised that nobody else believes in it. Well, I'm, I'm the boss. Big deal. You know what it means to be the boss? It means you work harder. It means you work longer. It means you put in more hours than anybody else. It means you take it home at night when everybody else punched out at five. I want a great family. If you're the dad, guess what? You got to show it first. Well, I'm going to let my wife take care of that stuff. No, you've got to. The Bible calls you the spiritual leader of your home. See, there, there, there's all these things. Now, now, watch what Nehemiah did. He described the problem, but he showed a solution. Isn't it interesting how many people can point a finger and tell you the problem? I, I mean, anybody, watch this, anybody that can read a teleprompter can tell you the bad news. All you got to do is turn on any of them, whichever one you like, CNN, Fox, ABC, MSNBC, whatever it is, and there's somebody reading a teleprompter telling you how bad it is. Listen, I don't need anybody else telling me that we're in a recession. I got it. I don't need anybody else telling me that our nation's in trouble. I got it. I need somebody who can come along and show me an answer, give me a direction, and tell me that they've got an idea to fix this. I'll vote for that guy. Amen. Not being political. Just a little bit. The whole process is this, is that we have to come to an understanding that not only do I need to talk about the problem, but I need to show the solution. If you want people to share your passion, if you want your family to share your passion about having a great family, 
How many of you have ever used this term with your children? How many of you have ever said to your children, just do it because I said so? Bless God. Now, that works well when you don't want to mess with them. Maybe. But it really does not get them on board with where you're trying to take them. And a lot of times, that's how we live life in general. People have to be given a clear picture of how this vision is going to alter their future. If I tell you I have a product, that product has to help me in my life, and it's got to be better down the road. If not, I don't want your product. If I go to a church, here we go. If I go to a church and all they do is tell me how horrible I am, how, how I'm not going to heaven, I'm going to split hell wide open, I'm not going back because I already know I've got issues. You don't ever have to come and say, Pastor, do you have issues? I know what they are, all right? But I need somebody who's not talking about my problems, but who's giving me some solutions to help me to get to where I need to be. That's the kind of church, and that's the kind of place that I want to be in, and that's the kind of person I want to follow. Now, now let's look at verse 18, all right? Verse 18, he, he kind of gives us a little more here. He says, And I told him of the hand, here he goes again, of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, now watch this. He shared with them, he's laid it out, he told them about God, what God is doing. And the Bible says, So they said, Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. The third thing that you've got to have in any aspect of your life, whether it's your walk with God in the spiritual dimension, whether it's in your aspect of your lifestyle uh, or your family, whatever it is, I want to tell you, you've got to make sure you have the right timing. There's nothing any worse than somebody who has the right thing but has the wrong time. I've said for years, and I get in trouble by saying this because everybody thinks that everything in Scripture was predestined and predetermined. I believe in the free will of man. And so, therefore, I think that Joseph, if he would have kept his mouth shut, would have stayed out of a pit and stayed out of prison. But instead, at 13 to 14 years of age, he starts spewing out all these great dreams, all these great ideas, and his brother said, I don't like you, we're going to kill you. I wonder how many times we've jumped the gun and gotten ahead of the right timing. Do you know that water at 211 degrees is hot, and it will stay at 211 degrees, and it will be hot, but it will never boil? But if you bump it one degree to 212 degrees, it will then begin to boil, and the boiling water will produce steam, and, a ste and steam will move a locomotive. All it takes is just waiting. How many of you have ever heard the term, uh, watch pot never boils, all right? All it takes is waiting for that one degree, for that one thing to happen, and then when it is right, somebody needs this. In the right time. I mean, how many times in Scripture do you read in the fullness of time? In the book of Genesis, in the, in the Garden of Eden, God shows up. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've fallen. There's a snake, the whole process there. And the Bible says that God tells Adam and Eve and he tells Satan, there's coming a day that I'm going to send a Redeemer. I'm going to send a Savior. And Satan, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. 
For the next 4,000 years of recorded history, the Word of God lets us know that people are daily crying out, Lord, send the Redeemer, send Messiah. But then the Bible says, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. You know what else is interesting to me? Do you realize that when Jesus came, that he lived? Now, they've been praying for 4,000 years. Don't you think that's long enough? I mean, come on, some of you have been praying for 40 minutes and you give up. 4,000 years. Jesus shows up, and outside of that one little encounter at 12 years of age that he kind of messes with the theological minds of that day, he just is quiet. He's helping out in the carpenter shop. He's doing all of his stuff. I mean, come on, could he not have it at least by 20 started his ministry? I mean, if he did in three and a half years what the Bible says he did, what could he have done in 13 and a half years? But he waited for the right time. You know what he was waiting on? In that culture, a rabbi was not accepted until he was 30 years of age. Jesus waited until the right moment that he would be received, and then he stepped onto the scene, and he changed all of history. What you have got to do is you've got to find out, what is the moment? Where do I move from just being hot? I could go some places with that, but I won't. From just being hot until being boiling, until you move to that place where it's not just enough to be at this moment, but I'm really now ready to move. And I want to tell you something about that. you got to understand this. God's hand's got to be upon you in that moment. Doesn't matter what you're doing. God's hand has to be upon you. But what you need to know today is whatever God originates, God orchestrates. If, if God is guiding you somewhere, He will orchestrate the process, and if you'll walk through the doors, he will bring about everything that you need. The fourth thing is this. Just write it down, and I'll read the verse. The fourth thing is understand it's going to cost you dearly. Just write it down. Understand it's going to cost you dearly. The Word of God says in verse 19, But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Now, you need to know that if you're going to do anything of significance, there's always going to be people who don't like you. If you are waiting on people to like you to do something, you're never going to accomplish anything. Because there are moments people in your own family don't like you. Right? I mean, we, we've got to come to that place that we understand that the amount of sacrifice is equal to the greatness of the call. If I'm not willing to sacrifice any more than that, my call is going to be about that high. If I just want to have a, well, I want to have a great family, but you know what? I don't have time to invest in it. I'm too busy, and, you know, kids just raise themselves. They'll do whatever. That's the kind of family I'm going to have. But if I understand, wait a minute, I've got a, I've got a one-time shot to make a difference in a life or in lives, then all of a sudden you begin to live differently. And here's what I want to tell you. When you're pursuing whatever it is that you want to do for God, you've got to be the one that takes the greatest risk of anybody involved. Nehemiah risked everything to come to Jerusalem. 
He risks his job. He risks his reputation. He risks, I mean, everything in his life he puts on the line to get there. And yet what is so interesting about Nehemiah that even in the midst, and if you read the book of Nehemiah, you'll find this, even in all the aspects of what he is going through and what he is experiencing, he is constantly going to God in prayer and seeking the Lord. I want to tell you something. Whatever it is that God's called you to do, you better bathe it in prayer. You better cover it in prayer. It better be more than now I lay me down to sleep. It better be more now than, you know, Jesus blessed this food. There better be some serious prayer time that goes into it. When you read the life of Nehemiah, you're finding that he's seeking after the Lord during this whole process. When he has people come against him, all the things that happen, he is consistently and constantly seeking after God. Now, here's why we seek after the Lord. As I seek after the Lord, the Bible says, if I seek after the Lord, he'll give me the desires of my heart. Now, what that means is, is that God places the right desires in me, and the vision remains consistent. So what is it that you're called to do? What is it that God has placed in your life and said, this is what I want you to do? It may be that God has said to some of you ladies that God has spoken to you and said, I want you to be a stay-at-home mom. Now, there may be other people around you who may not understand that, who may talk about you, who may say, you know what, if she'd just worked, they'd have more money and things would be better. But you just know that you know that God has called you to do that. I want to tell you, there are moments that's frustrating. There are moments that that's tough. But if God has directed you to do that, if you will be obedient in that, you are going to receive great things down the road, and you're going to see lives being transformed because you stayed true to the vision that God gave. Maybe God's called you to build a business. You know, the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation that we are called to be kings and priests before God. In other words, there's two aspects of being in God's kingdom. There's the priestly aspect, which is, you know, full-time ministry and that kind of stuff, which is what I'm in. But there's also the kingly aspect. There's, the, there's the, the source of being out there in the world and doing those things. And God has called you. And some of you are called of God to be a king in the world. Listen, don't give up just because it got tough. Go back to that place of prayer where that thing was birthed in your spirit. You say, Pastor, I started this right in the middle of the recession. I didn't even know we were in it. Listen, if God told you to start it, the Bible says he who has begun a good work in you, he will complete it. So don't allow the naysayers, don't allow the sandballots and Tobias who are always having something negative to say, do not allow them to steal the vision that God has placed in your life. So I don't know what you're called to do. I do not know what it is that God has placed on your life. But here's what I do believe. Every one of us, every person listening to me today, I believe with all of my heart that God has destined you for greatness. I don't believe there's any of us that are supposed to be mediocre. I refuse and I challenge you to refuse to settle for mediocrity. Doesn't matter where you are in life, it does not matter at what age, what stage, doesn't matter what race you are, doesn't matter what gender you are. I challenge you today to say, wait a minute, God has placed something inside of me. God has given me the grace and the assurance that he has started something in me, and I refuse to quit. Here's what I want to tell you. Stay true to the vision. Stay true to what it is that God's called you to do, 
And if you will, then God can lead you into greatness and you will see things happen that will astound you and will totally not only change your life, but it will change the life of people that you probably don't even know because you've been faithful to what God's called you to do.